Section 8 of Essays, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 3 by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Upon a few verses of Virgil. They who think they honor marriage by joining love to it do, methinks, like those who, to favor virtue, hold that nobility is nothing else but virtue. They are indeed things that have some relation to one another, but there is a great deal of difference. We should not so mix their names and titles. Tis a wrong to them both to so confound them. Nobility is a brave quality, and with good reason introduced. But forasmuch as tis a quality depending upon others, and may happen in a vicious person, in himself nothing, tis in estimate infinitely below virtue. If nobility be virtue, it loses its quality in all things wherein not virtuous, and if it be not virtue, tis a small matter. La Bruyere. Tis a virtue, if it be one, that is artificial and apparent depending upon time and fortune, various in form, according to the country, living and mortal, without birth, as the river Nile, genealogical and common, of succession and similitude, drawn by consequence, and a very weak one, knowledge, strength, goodness, beauty, riches, and all other qualities fall into communication and commerce, but this is consummated in itself, and of no use to the service of others. There was proposed to one of our kings the choice of two candidates for the same command, of whom one was a gentleman, the other not. He ordered that, without respect to quality, they should choose him who had the most merit, but where the worth of the competitors should appear to be entirely equal, they should have respect to birth. This was justly to give it its rank. A young man unknown, coming to Antigonus to make suit for his father's command, a valiant man lately dead, Friend, said he, in such performance as these I have not so much regard to the nobility of my soldiers as to their prowess. And indeed, it ought not to go as it did with the officers of the kings of Sparta trumpeteers, fiddlers, cooks, the children of whom always succeeded to their places, how ignorant soever, and were preferred before the most experienced in the trade. They of Calicut make of nobles a sort of superhuman persons. They are interdicted marriage and all but warlike employments. They may have of concubines their fill, and the women as many lovers without being jealous of one another. But tis a capital and irremissible crime to couple with a person of meaner conditions than themselves. And they think themselves polluted if they have but touched one in walking along. And supposing their nobility to be marvelously interested and injured in it, kill such as only approach a little too near them insomuch that the ignoble are obliged to cry out as they walk, like the gondoliers of Venice, 
at the turnings of streets for fear of jostling, and the nobles command them to step aside to what part they please. By that means, these avoid what they repute a perpetual ignominy, though certain death. No time, no favor of the prince, no office or virtue or riches, can ever prevail to make a plebeian become noble, to which this custom contributes, that marriages are interdicted betwixt different trades. The daughter of one of the cordwainers' guild is not permitted to marry a carpenter, and parents are obliged to train up their children precisely in their own callings, and not put them to any other trade, by which means the distinction and continuance of their fortunes are maintained. A good marriage, if there be any such, rejects the company and conditions of love, and tries to represent those of friendship. Tis a sweet society of life, full of constancy, trust, and an infinite number of useful and solid services and mutual obligations, which any woman who has a right taste, optato quam junxit lumine tida, whom the marriage torch has joined with the desired light, Catullus 44.79, would be loath to serve her husband in quality of a mistress. If she be lodged in his affection as a wife, she is more honorably and securely placed. When he purports to be in love with another, and works all he can do to obtain his desire, let any one but ask him on which he had rather a disgrace should fall, his wife or his mistress which of their misfortunes would most afflict him, and to which of them he wishes the most grandeur, the answer to these questions is out of dispute in a sound marriage. And that so few are observed to be happy is a token of its price and value. If well formed and rightly taken, tis the best of all human societies. We cannot live without it and yet we do nothing but decry it. It happens as with cages. The birds without despair to get in, and those within despair of getting out. Socrates, being asked whether it was more commodious to take a wife or not, Let a man take which course he will, said he. He will repent. Tis a contract to which the common saying, Homo homini, out deus out lupus. Man to man is either a god or a wolf. Erasmus, adages, may very fitly be applied. There must be a concurrence of many qualities in the construction. It is found nowadays more convenient for simple and plebeian souls, where delights, curiosity, and idleness do not so much disturb it, but extravagant humors such as mine, that hate all sorts of obligation and restraint, are not so proper for it. Et mihi dulce magis resoluto, we were call them. And it is sweet to me to live with a loosened neck. Pseudo Gallus 161. Might I have had my own will, I would not have married wisdom herself if she would have had me. But tis much purpose to evade it. The common custom and usance of life 
we'll have it so. The most of my actions are guided by example, not by choice, and yet I did not go to it of my own voluntary motion. I was led and drawn to it by extrinsic occasions. For not only things that are incommodious in themselves, but also things, however ugly, vicious, and to be avoided, may be rendered acceptable by some condition or accident. So unsteady and vain is all human resolution. And I was persuaded to it, when worse prepared and less tractable than I am at present, that I have tried what it is, and as great a libertine as I am taken to be, I have in truth more strictly observed the laws of marriage than I either promised or expected. Tis in vain to kick when a man has once put on his fetters. A man must prudently manage his liberty, but having once submitted to obligation, he must confine himself within the laws of common duty, at least do what he can towards it. They who engage in this contract, with a design to carry themselves in it with hatred and contempt, do an unjust and inconvenient thing. And the fine rule that I hear pass from hand to hand amongst the women as a sacred oracle, serve thy husband as thy master, but guard thyself against him as from a traitor. Which is to say, comport thyself towards him with a dissembled, inimical, and distrustful reverence. A cry of war and defiance is equally injurious and hard. I am too mild for such rugged designs. To say the truth, I am not arrived to that perfection of ability and refinement of wit to confound reason with injustice and to laugh at all rule and order that does not please my palate. Because I hate superstition, I do not presently run into the contrary extreme of irreligion. If a man does not always perform his duty, he ought at least to love and acknowledge it. Tis treachery to marry without espousing. Let us proceed. Our poet represents a marriage happy in a good accord, wherein, nevertheless, there is not much loyalty. Does he mean that it is not impossible, but a woman may give the reins to her own passion, and yield to the importunities of love, and yet reserve some duty towards marriage, and that it may be hurt without being totally broken? A serving man may cheat his master, whom, nevertheless, he does not hate. Beauty, opportunity, and destiny, for destiny has also a hand in it. Fatimest in partibus illis quas sinus abscondit, nam simtibi sidura cessant nil faciet longi mensura incognita nerui. There is a fatality about the hidden parts. Let nature have endowed you, however liberally, tis of no use if your good star fails you in the nick of time. Juvenile nine thirty two have attached her to a stranger, though not so wholly, peradventure, but that she may have some remains of kindness for her husband. There are two designs that have several paths leading to them, without being confounded with one another. A woman may yield to a man she would by no means have married, 
not only for the condition of his fortune, but for those also of his person. Few men have made a wife of a mistress who have not repented it. And even in the other world, what an unhappy life does Jupiter lead with his, whom he had first enjoyed as a mistress. Tis, as the proverb runs, to befoul a basket, and then put it upon one's head. I have in my time, in a good family, seen love shamefully and dishonestly cured by marriage. The considerations are widely different. We love at once, without any tie, two things contrary in themselves. Socrates was wont to say that the city of Athens pleased as ladies do, whom men court for love. Everyone loved to come thither to take a turn and pass away his time, but no one liked it so well as to espouse it, that is, to inhabit there, and to make it his constant residence. I've been vexed to see husbands hate their wives only because they themselves do them wrong. We should not, at all events, methinks, love them the less for our own faults. They should at least, upon the account of repentance and compassion, be dearer to us. They are different ends, he says, and yet in some sort compatible. Marriage has utility, justice, honor, and constancy for its share. A flat but more universal pleasure. Love founds itself wholly upon pleasure, and indeed has it more full, lively, and sharp. A pleasure inflamed by difficulty. There must be in it sting and smart. Tis no longer love if without darts and fire. The bounty of ladies is too profuse in marriage and dulls the point of affection and desire to evade which inconvenience, do but observe what pains Lycurgus and Plato take in their laws. Women are not to blame at all when they refuse the rules of life that are introduced into the world, for as much as the men make them without their help. There is naturally contention and brawling betwixt them and us, and the strictest friendship we have with them is yet mixed with the tumult and tempest. In the opinion of our author, we deal inconsiderately with them in this. After we have discovered that they are, without comparison, more able and ardent in the practice of love than we, and that the old priest testified as much, who had been one while a man and then a woman, Venus huic erat utraque nota. Both aspects of love were known to him. Teresius Ovid Metamorphoses Three, three hundred twenty-three, and moreover that we have learned from their own mouths the proof that in several ages was made by an emperor and empress of Rome, Proclus, both famous for ability in that affair, for he in one night deflowered ten Sarmatian virgins who were his captives, but she had five and twenty bouts in one night changing her man according to her need and liking. Adhuc Ardane's Rigidae Tetigene Wolwai, et lasata viris non dum satiata recasset. Ardent still, she retired, fatigued but not satisfied. Juvenal 6, 128. 
and that upon the dispute which happened in Cataluna, wherein a wife complaining of her husband's too frequent addresses to her, not so much as I conceive that she was incommoded by it, for I believe no miracles out of religion, as under this pretense to curtail and curb in this, which is the fundamental act of marriage, the authority of husbands over their wives, and to show that their forwardness and malignity go beyond the nuptial bed, and spurn underfoot even the graces and sweets of Venus. The husband, a man truly brutish and unnatural, replied that even on fasting days he could not subsist with less than ten courses, whereupon came out that notable sentence of the Queen of Aragon, by which, after mature deliberation of her counsel, this good queen, to give a rule and example to all succeeding ages of the legitimate and necessary stint, surrendering and quitting a great deal of the needs and desires of her sex, that she might, she said, establish an easy and consequently a permanent and immutable rule. Hereupon the doctors cry out, what must the female appetite and concupiscence be when their reason, their reformation and virtue are taxed at such a rate, considering the diverse judgments of our appetites? For Solon, master of the law school, taxes us but at three a month, that men may not fail in point of conjugal frequentation. After having, I say, believed and preached all this, we go and enjoin them continency for their particular share, and upon the last and extreme penalties. There is no passion so hard to contend with as this, which we would have them only resist, not simply as an ordinary vice, but as an execrable abomination, worse than irreligion and parricide, whilst we, at the same time, go to it without offence or reproach. Even those amongst us who have tried the experiment have sufficiently confessed what difficulty, or rather impossibility, they have found by material remedies to subdue, weaken, and cool the body. We, on the contrary, would have them at once sound, vigorous, plump, high-fed, and chaste, that is to say, both hot and cold. For the marriage, which we tell them is to keep them from burning, is but small refreshment to them, as we order the matter. If they take one whose vigorous age is yet boiling, he will be proud to make it known elsewhere. Sit tandem pudor, aut eamus in use, multis mentula milibus redempta, non est haec tua basse, vendidisti let there be some shame, or we shall go to law. Your vigor, bought by your wife with many thousands, is no longer yours, thou hast sold it. Polemon, the philosopher, was justly by his wife brought before the judge for sowing in a barren field the seed that was due in one that was fruitful. If, on the other hand, they take a decayed fellow, they are in a worse condition in marriage than either maids or widows. We think them well provided for, because they have a man to lie with, as the Romans concluded Claudia Lytia, a vestal nun, violated, because Caligula had approached her, 
though it was declared he did no more but approach her. But, on the contrary, we by that increase their necessity, forasmuch as the touch and company of any man whatever rouses their desires, that in solitude would be more quiet. And to the end, tis likely that they might render their chastity more meritorious by this circumstance and consideration. Boleslas and Kinga, his wife, kings of Poland, vowed it by mutual consent, being in bed together on their very wedding day, and kept their vow in spite of all matrimonial conveniences. We train them up from their infancy to the traffic of love. Their grace, dressing, knowledge, language, and whole instruction tend that way. Their governesses imprint nothing in them but the idea of love, if for nothing else but by continually representing it to them to give them a distaste for it. My daughter, the only child I have, is now of an age that forward young women are allowed to be married at. She is of a slow, thin, and tender complexion, and has accordingly been brought up by her mother after a retired and particular manner, so that she but now begins to be weaned from her childish simplicity. She was reading before me in a French book where the word Fouteau, the name of a tree very well known, occurred. The woman, to whose conduct she is committed, stopped her short a little roughly and made her skip over that dangerous step. I let her alone, not to trouble their rules, for I never concern myself in that sort of government feminine polity as a mysterious procedure. We must leave it to them. But if I am not mistaken, the commerce of twenty lackeys could not, in six months' time, have so imprinted in her memory the meaning, usage, and all the consequence of the sound of those wicked syllables, as this good old woman did by reprimand and interdiction. Motus doceri gaudet ionicos matura virgo, et frangator artibus, jam nuncet incestos amores de tenero meditator ungui. The maid, ripe for marriage, delights to learn ionic dances and to imitate those lascivious movements. Nay, already from her infancy she meditates criminal amours. Horace, Odes 3, 6, 12. Let them but give themselves the rein a little. Let them but enter into liberty of discourse. We are but children to them in this science. Hear them but describe our pursuits and conversation they will very well make you understand that we bring them nothing they have not known before and digested without our help it is perhaps as plato says that they have formerly been debauched young fellows i happened one day to be in a place where i could hear some of their talk without suspicion i'm sorry i cannot repeat it by your lady said i we had need go study the phrases of amadis and the tales of Boccaccio and Aratin, to be able to discourse with them. We employ our time to much purpose indeed. There is neither word, example, nor step they are not more perfect in than our books. Tis a discipline that springs with their blood. Et mentem ipsa venus dedit. 
Venus herself made them what they are. Virgil Georgics 3, 267 which these good instructors, nature, youth, and health, are continually inspiring them with. They need not learn, they breed it. Nec tantum nivio gawis est ola colombo compar, well si quid dicitur improbius, oscula mordenti semper de carpere rostro quantum praecipue multi est mulier. No milk-white dove, or if there be a thing more or less serious, takes so much delight in kissing as woman, wishful for every man she sees. Catullus, 66, 125. So that, if the natural violence of their desire were not a little restrained by fear and honor, which were wisely contrived for them, we should all be shamed. All the motions in the world resolve into and tend to this conjunction. Tis a matter infused throughout. Tis a center to which all things are directed. We yet see the edicts of the old and wise Rome made for the service of love and the precepts of Socrates for the instruction of courtesans. Nec non libelli stoici inter sericos jacere povilos amant. There are writings of the Stoics which we find lying upon silken cushions. Horace Epodes, 8.15 Zeno, amongst his laws, regulated the motions to be observed in getting a maidenhead. What was the philosopher Strato's book of carnal conjunction? Diogenes Lartius, 5.59 and what did Theophrastus treat of in those he entitled the one the lover and the other of love? Of what Aristippus in his of former delights? What do the so long and lively descriptions in Plato of the loves of his time pretend to? And the book called The Lover of Demetrius Phalerius and Clinius, or The Ravished Lover of Heraclides? and that of Antisthenes, of getting children, or of weddings, and the other, of the master or the lover, and that of Aristo, of amorous exercises, what those of Cleanthes, one of love, the other of the art of loving, the amorous dialogues of Spireus, and the fable of Jupiter and Juno, of Chrysippus, impudent beyond all toleration, and his fifty so lascivious epistles, I will let alone the writings of the philosophers of the Epicurean sect, protectress of voluptuousness. Fifty deities were, in time past, assigned to this office, and there have been nations where, to assuage the lust of those who came to their devotion, they kept men and women in their temples for the worshippers to lie with. And it was an act of ceremony to do this before they went to prayers. Nimirum proper continentium incontinentia necessaria est, incendium ignis extinguitur. Forsooth, incontinency is necessary for continency's sake. A conflagration is extinguished by fire. In the greatest part of the world, that member of our body was deified, and in the same province, some flayed off the skin to offer and consecrate a piece. Others offered and consecrated their seed. 
In another, the young men publicly cut through betwixt the skin and the flesh of that part in several places, and thrust pieces of wood into the openings as long and thick as they would receive, and of these pieces of wood afterwards made a fire as an offering to their gods, and were reputed neither vigorous nor chaste, if uh, by the force of that cruel pain they seemed to be at all dismayed. Elsewhere, the most sacred magistrate was reverenced and acknowledged by that member, and in several ceremonies the effigy of it was carried in pomp to the honor of various divinities. The Egyptian ladies, in their bacchanalia, each carried one finely carved of wood about their necks, as large and heavy as she could so carry it, besides which the statue of their god presented one which in greatness surpassed all the rest of his body. Herodotus 2.48 says, nearly as large as the body itself. The married women near the place where I live make of their kerchiefs the figure of one upon their foreheads to glorify themselves in the enjoyment they have of it and coming to be widows, they throw it behind and cover it with their headcloths. The most modest matrons of Rome thought it an honor to offer flowers and garlands to the god Priapus, and they made the virgins, at the time of their espousals, sit upon his shameful parts. And I know not whether I have not in my time seen some air of like devotion, what was the meaning of that ridiculous piece of the chaussui of our forefathers, and that is still worn by our Swiss? To what end do we make a show of our implements in figure under our breeches, and often, which is worse, above their natural size, by falsehood and imposture? I have half a mind to believe that this sort of vestment was invented in the better and more conscientious ages that the world might not be deceived, and that everyone should give a public account of his proportions. The simple nations wear them yet, and near about the real size. In those days the tailor took measure of it, as the shoemaker does now of a man's foot. That good man who, when I was young, gilded so many noble and ancient statues in his great city, that they might not corrupt the sight of the ladies, according to the advice of this other ancient worthy, Flagitii principium est nudare inter kiwis corpora. Tis the beginning of wickedness to expose their persons among the citizens. Ennius apud Cicero Tusculani Questiones 4.33 should have called to mind that, as in the mysteries of the Bonadea, all masculine appearance was excluded. He did nothing if he did not geld horses and asses, in short, all nature. Omne adiogenes interis hominumque ferarumque et genus aequorium pecudes pictaeque volucres in furias ignimque ruunt so that all living creatures, men and animals, wild or tame, and fish and gaudy fowl, rush to this flame of love. Virgil Georgics 3.244 The gods, says Plato, have given us one disobedient and unruly member, 
that like a furious animal attempts by the violence of its appetite to subject all things to it and so they have given to women one like a greedy and ravenous animal which if it be refused food in season grows wild impatient of delay and infusing its rage into their bodies stops the passages and hinders respiration causing a thousand ills till having imbibed the fruit of the common thirst it has plentifully bedewed the bottom of their matrix now my legislator the pope who as montaigne has told us took it into his head to geld the statues should also have considered that at peradventure it were a chaster and more fruitful usage to let them know the fact as it is betimes than permit them to gasp according to the liberty and heat of their own fancy instead of the real parts they substitute through hope and desire others that are three times more extravagant and a certain friend of mine lost himself by producing his in place and time when the opportunity was not present to put them to their more serious use what mischief do not those pictures of prodigious dimension do that the boys make upon the staircases and galleries of the royal houses they give the ladies a cruel contempt of our natural furniture and what do we know but that plato after another well-instituted republics ordered that the men and women old and young should expose themselves naked to the view of one another in his gymnastic exercises upon that very account the indian women who see the men in their natural state have at least cooled the sense of seeing and let the women of the kingdom of pegu say what they will who below the waist have nothing to cover them but a cloth slit before and so straight that what decency and modesty soever they pretend by it at every step all is to be seen that it is an invention to allure the men to them and to divert them from boys to whom that nation is generally inclined yet peradventure they lose more by it than they get and one may venture to say that an entire appetite is more sharp than one already half glutted by the eyes livia was wont to say that to a virtuous woman a naked man was but a statue the lacedaemonian women more virgins than when wives than our daughters are saw every day the young men of their city stripped naked in their exercises themselves little heeding to cover their thighs in walking believing themselves says plato sufficiently covered by their virtue without any other robe but those of whom saint augustine speaks have given nudity a wonderful power of temptation who have made it a doubt whether women at the day of judgment shall rise again in their own sex and not rather in ours for fear of tempting us again in that holy state in brief we allure and flush them by all sorts of ways we incessantly heat and stir up their imagination and then we find fault let us confess the truth there is scarce one of us who does not more apprehend the shame that accrues to him by the vices of his wife than by his own and that is not more solicitous a wonderful charity 
of the conscience of his virtuous wife than of his own, who had not rather commit theft and sacrilege, and that his wife was a murderess and a heretic, than that she should not be more chaste than her husband. An unjust estimate of vices, both we and they, are capable of a thousand corruptions, more prejudicial and unnatural than lust, but we weigh vices not according to nature, but according to our interest, by which means they take so many unequal forms. End of section 8 Reading by Malone